0: Hello ladies and gentlemen, thanks for tuning in to AOA here to start your week the last week of the month of August of the year 2022 which means of course folks that this week is farm progress show going on in Boone Iowa begins tomorrow August 30th goes the 30th the 31st and September 1st. I'm very excited AOA will be broadcasting live from the Trelleborg booth. That's booth number 928, all three days from 9 to 10 Central. So if you're on the grounds, if you're planning to come down to Boone, come on by booth 928. The show will go from 9 to 10. And we've got industry panels afterwards from 10 till 11. And then we've got the rest of the Farm Progress show for you to take in. We're going to be talking about that in detail with Chris Neidert. He's the marketing and training manager there at Trelleborg. And Mr. Max Armstrong, the face and voice of the Farm Progress show, will be joining us here in just a minute to talk about that event who's getting very excited about it in segment two we are going to check in with Dwayne Bossy of Bolt Marketing he had his bullhorns on last week while we talked to him as that crop tour was going on across the country now it's wrapped up I want to see if he's still got those bullhorns on tight we'll talk to Dwayne in segment two and in segment three Sigrid Johannes the uh, public lands council will be joining us there were some changes in the gray wolf's endangered species listing NCBA has been fighting that for some time and there was a court move last that might change the equation we'll talk about that with secret here in segment three folks but oh, join me now let's get excited for Farm Progress 2022 we've got Mr Max Armstrong on the line Max are you in Boone as of yet today
2: I am sir good morning to you how are you doing
0: well I'm doing very well Max I'm excited to get up there to the grounds how do things look here the day before the doors open for the public to come into the Farm Progress show
2: well, there's been a little bit of weekend rain, and there's a little bit of moisture in the area this morning, but I think it'll be great for the next three days. Now, there is probably too much rain in the field demonstration area, so it's probably going to be difficult for them to demo combines tomorrow, but they're expecting to be able to be full-blown, wide-open demonstrations. And 10 o'clock in the morning for the harvesting equipment and 2 in the afternoon for the tillage equipment as they'll be rolling then on Wednesday. So, and field demos again on uh, Thursday. Uh, you know, out with the combines, it's not just combines, but you see grain carts running with them also, and they'd be, they'll be demonstrating corn heads too at the same time out there. So, we look forward to that along with everything else that will be on the full schedule tomorrow
0: absolutely lots and lots to come even with the moisture and as we think about those rain-soaked fields of course we're going to be confronting those in boone it sounds like tomorrow growers are going to be confronting those as harvest gets closer i can imagine we've seen it in years past and good tires can make all the difference when we're talking compaction in the field that'll be the topic of conversation at the trelliborg booth chris neider joins us today chris you are en route to boone it sounds like you're getting excited to see everybody in person
3: Well, this is what we uh, top of the morning to you. Besides that, Mike, Uh, thank you. And top of the morning to Max. You know, I listen to you and Max every weekend, and it's an honor to be on with both of you guys at the same time. But, yeah, this is what we've been working up for. And I've said this every time we've talked. It's the Super Bowl for us. And uh, we're at booth 928, Have you, as you've been saying. And, you know, let me tell you something. Max has mentioned the, the uh, fields being kind of muddy. You know, if you've got troubleboard tires on that equipment, they're going to grip and pull you through that. So if we're known for anything, it's traction in the field.
0: Absolutely, and Chris, it seems like this might be a good year to be talking traction. Are you going to have examples of some of those Trelleborg tires on display that farmers can get up and close to, touch, and and really talk to the experts about?
3: Yes, that's the, that's the beauty of being at a show in person. We were going to have all kinds of product there from the tractor tires, combine tires, sprayer tires, come on into the booth. I love talking about the product in front of the product. I am a touchy-feely guy. You can come in and look at the tires. We have all our experts there this week. So any kind of question you have with tires, please come into our booth. We'll have both Metas product there and Trellaboard product there. (laughs)
0: And that is what is so incredible about the farm progress show folks if you've never been the opportunity to talk to the product creators the designers the engineers maybe voice your opinion and get their insight that's what it's all about and max you have been to a farm progress show or two in your time how many years have you been going to farm progress
2: you know it's very funny you should ask because i was trying to calculate in my mind last night I, i think it has been more than 40 there, there, was, there were several there in the years when Orion Samuel just went on his own, and I, I had to stay back in Chicago and keep some of the things going on on the air there on the radio and television, but he would go to the show, and I would stay behind. But I don't think there were more than about, uh, about eight of those. I, I saw, I'm I, pretty sure I've been to at least 40 Farm Progress shows starting in about 1975. I'll never forget going to my first one, seeing Orion working in a slurry store. Hail <laughs> Hail for the Harvest store. Yeah. Yeah. Harvestor picture this, Chris. Harvest was a big sponsor. And so they had this big slurry store, and Bleacher's sitting in there. Here was Ori and Samuelson on stage, right in the middle of that slurry store.
0: That is pretty fantastic, Max. And of course you're gonna be on stage each day. Can you tell us a little bit about what to expect at noon? there at the Farm Progress Show if folks have never been.
2: Yeah, we're looking forward to it. Folks can watch it at Farm Progress 365 online. It'll be live. We'll have the Secretary of Agriculture, Tom Vilsack, coming by tomorrow. And I don't believe he's been to too many Farm Progress shows, so it'll be nice to have him there and get his reaction. And then we'll have members of Congress. I think no fewer than seven, as a matter of fact, including a ranking member of the House Agriculture Committee. And we'll have uh, members, uh, well, several people who serve as lieutenant governor in a number of states. And uh, then we'll also have state directors or secretaries of agriculture joining us, too. So it'll be a constant parade. It'll be a dizzying pace, Mike. I hope you're up for it.
0: It will be. I'm very excited. I'll get the chance to share the stage there for that noon show. And, Max, where can folks come in? If they need a break from the heat, if they want to get off their legs for a little bit, catch up with the secretary of agriculture and the other dignitaries, where can they go for that noon show?
2: We're going to be right at the Wallace's <laughs> Hospitality Tent. It's right in the middle of the showgrounds. Grab the show program when you're coming in, or you can uh, you can find it online as well. You know you can, you can go to farmprogressshow.com. You can buy your tickets in advance there too, and you can just have them on your phone when you're coming to come into the gate. It facilitates the process significantly. You can see the show map there and uh, map your show in advance. As a matter of fact, before you come on out
0: absolutely folks get that done show.com. get those tickets see the parking information see the route information all of that is there and then when it while you're at the on the show grounds come by the Trelleborg booth from 9 to 10 AOA will be broadcasting live and then we'll be doing panels Chris we're talking carbon markets tomorrow in the booth from 10 to 11 with growers who have been a part of this why did Trelleborg want to have this kind of a panel
3: well you know Mike we obviously uh That's where our tires work, in the soil, and carbon is an important thing to help that soil. So we figured we'd have some information other than tires for the farmer. They can come in and talk to us, but this will give them a chance to come in and listen to some other information that is really important in the world of agriculture.
0: It is, folks, and it continues to change. Come by booth 928. AOA will be live from 9 to 10. The panels from 10 to 11 each day and then come by the booth. See me and Max Armstrong for the noon show at the Wallace's Farmer Hospitality Tent. Max Armstrong, thanks for joining us today. Looking forward to seeing you later this week.
2: Hey, a pleasure to be on with
0: you. Chris, take care. Hope you have a great show out there. We look forward to seeing you. Max, All right, folks. And Chris Neidert from Trelleborg. Folks, we'll be more with those folks all week. Tune in for more AOA. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up.
4: Choose the proven performance of the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, featuring high yielding Extend Flex soybeans and the exceptional weed control of max herbicide with grip technology. Elite genetics, triple herbicide tolerance, flexibility that delivers results, backed by 25 years of innovation. That's the Roundup Ready Extend crop system. The system of choice. Extendamax is a restricted-use pesticide. Always follow stewardship practices, all pesticide-label directions, and check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state.
5: They say if you listen hard enough you can hear the corn grow. It's true. When you're out in the field, you understand its challenges and what it needs to thrive. Channel Seedsmen bring insights from the field to our team of bear plant breeders. Their knowledge inspires our product development. From your best ground to your most challenging conditions, our products are designed to perform in your fields. Visit ChannelListens.com to see our latest innovations. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions.
0: welcome back to aoa ladies and gentlemen taking a look at the commodity markets this morning we're seeing some strength in corn some weakness in soybeans and figured it was time to check in with Dwayne bussey of bolt marketing up in britain south dakota Dwayne thanks for joining us today yeah absolutely anytime well, let's see. We talked here just about a week ago, Dwayne, and your, your bull horns were on your head hard and tight, and you were pretty amped up about this crop. Another week has gone by. We've seen the crop tour wrap up. Are you still as optimistic about the, the price targets to the upside here in corn?
6: Uh, long-term, I'll say yes. Short-term, probably not. I, I mean, we've rallied a lot since we talked last week, and, and I think we digested a lot of the bullish news. And hey, we got these corn above 670, so you know that already is a good price, especially when you consider this time of year. Um, we're not quite to the seasonal tendency where we've hit harvest lows and need to grind higher. Now, last week, we talked about me thinking that the harvest lows are in, and I I think we can all kind of agree to that. But Like I said, I think we digested a lot of bullish news. The market's a little overbought, so it wouldn't be surprised to see a bit of a correction today. But so far, the wheat market rallying pretty stronger than anticipated is helping to keep the corn market up that 9 to 10 cents this morning as well.
0: And on the wheat side, Dwayne, was there any news this morning or over the weekend on the wheat crop, or is this still just global concern about the, the tightness?
6: I think it's just the global concern about the tightness. Now, I haven't really seen any news this morning. Actually, if anything, the overnight news was maybe a little bit bearish wheat, but that's an old story, too. The old story I'm referring to is talking that Russia's got a big crop and they'll have a lot of wheat to export, uh, you know, some stuff coming out of Ukraine. You know, there was one story this morning that talked about the, uh, a Ukraine ambassador, I think, just saying that, you know, if we're really going to get – uh, enough silos emptied for the Ukraine harvest we need to be more aggressive getting this stuff out so you know there are shipments moving out but maybe start a little too late maybe not aggressive in, enough as they really would like to see there so maybe that's got the we market up a little bit but uh, it is surprised me today it's a nice strong market but overall I think that market also is seeing a harvest low and eventually will grind higher because of this Russia Ukraine situation remember the war is still going on so there's still a lot of question marks there in the Black Sea moving forward
0: yeah, that is absolutely true, Dwayne. You mentioned there this uh, this strength that we saw kind of uh, develop in the wheat market here recently, providing that spillover support into the corn market here. As you mentioned, ds corn six seventy three. If we've got growers, maybe they're a little light on their marketings. Do you want to be pulling the trigger here with some sales?
6: Yeah, actually, I don't have a problem with that. It's it's a very case-by-case deal. Uh, I just got a phone with a gentleman in southern Minnesota who's got just a monster crop coming, and, and he did just what you said, selling a little bit more corn up here, getting more hedged. Uh, what a great price, and if you've got a whopper of a crop, it's a great profitability, too. Uh, a lot more guys in the Dakotas here were kind of questioning our crop size after the tour and wondering, you know, well, what is out there? Now, it the yields get much better as you head to the north southeast part of the state where the pro farmer tour was is in rough condition. You and I have discussed that before, but uh yeah, everyone else, you know, if I'm hinting bullish and everyone heard my bullish horns last week, they have a hard time hedging even at these levels.
0: Yeah, that's true. That's true. I mean, when, when we get optimistic, man, that $7 would look good. But you mentioned we might see a little bit of weakness here, Dwayne. We're seeing that in the outside markets after Fed Chair Jerome Powell's comments on Friday. What do you think that's changed with the, the market psychology? Is, is money flow going to change at all after Fed Chair Powell's conversation?
6: I think it slowed down money flow. Last week we had the funds, uh, buyers of corn, finally a decent amount, 28,000 contracts, the Commitment of Traders report showed. But I think, yeah, those comments on Friday it just kind of pulled the reins back on this aggressive buying here, and, and maybe rightfully so. It. It makes me nervous as well. You know, how are we going to handle the recession moving forward? It sure sounds like the Fed is going to be very aggressive with interest rates until inflation gets back down to 2%. Well, we're a long ways from that. So it's definitely a cause for concern, and that's all it takes for the funds to just ease off a of buying. And if they ease off buying like anticipate, then that gives an opportunity for the sellers to come in on an overbought condition.
0: Absolutely. And as you think about those recession fears and, and how the market is adjusting to them, Dwayne, we see crude oil up to three dollars today. Front month West Texas Intermediate Crude, yeah, up two fifty to three dollars. That that doesn't seem like a market that's too concerned about recession. Do you see some strength sticking with us here in crude oil?
6: I don't know if I do. I mean, I I think it's a nice bounce today, but I'm kind of scratching my head, honestly, looking at it going, that's impressive. I I think it's a good thing. um, You know, the market had some time to digest the Fed uh, speeches over the weekend. And, you know, we're up this morning, it's nice, but I I don't think this is the start of an upward trend in crude. But we've got to remember, we're way off the highs, too. But no, I'm not a big bull in the crude oil market here. But, you know, we are getting towards the end of the driving season a little bit, and that's been lower than anticipated. But, I don't know. Productions just, you know, it's a concern all over the U.S., not the U.S., but all over the world. So I, I understand a pop here and there, but I don't know if I'm an outright bull of this crude oil market with the recession fears coming.
0: All right. Good to know. Well, as we're thinking oils, one of the oils that has certainly caught investors' attention this year has been Fedge Oils, Dwayne, we've seen soybean oil really running that market. As we sit here, we got bean oil coming off a little bit. We've got beans substantially lower on the day, at least in the deferred months. What's changed here in the soybean market?
6: I think the soybean market maybe got ahead of itself just a little bit. It kind of got into the party last week, rallying sharply, actually, when you look at the soybean market last week, following the corn market higher, the pro-farmer tour, and then when the tour results kind of came together with a a yield the exact same as USDA, I I think today made the market feel like, well, maybe we didn't have to rally quite that far. So we're pulling back a little bit today. Again, not really overbought there, surprisingly, but just correcting the, the recent spike up. Now, the weather forecast isn't great. I mean, there's some rains headed to Illinois and the eastern Corn Belt. Boy, the western Corn Belt looks dry. Um for really finishing this crop off you could say so i've got south dakota north dakota yields trending a little bit lower because of the forecast here we really needed another rain or two to help finish it off so that'll give that soybean market support uh really tight world situations for a while here but we're all looking at will brazil raise this monster record crop that they'll be planting here in a couple weeks so if we're going to shift from our weather to south america weather real quickly
0: That's a great point, Dwayne. Brazil will be in the focus here as harvest uh, kicks off here in the US. What are you hearing on the trade from Brazil? Does, Does the idea of that monster potential soybean crop coming out of that country make sense to you, given all the supply chain issues we've seen in the past year?
6: Yeah, I mean, it does make sense, but you still got to grow it. Uh, You know, to get this monster production they're talking about, they have to expand acres, and they can. They still have a lot of pasture rangeland with just light brush that isn't that hard to get into production. So I do think they're going to plant it, Um, but I will also say this. When it comes to South America, we always start off at dang near record yields and record production and just assume it's going to happen. Then if they have weather problems, then we trim that, production forecast down hard to go through an entire growing season without some talk of La Nina or threat of a drought and boy if you threaten that crop at all then this very very tight world soybean situation stays tight so look for a weather scare to spike us up you know probably above $15 in some of our soybean contracts and that'll be our probably opportunity to sell
0: You know, given that, Dwayne, that that weather concern will be in South America, that $15 mark, how far out in the futures are you watching for that? Would that be a springtime price move, do you think? Or could we see it here in the November?
6: You could. I don't know if you'll see it in the November, to be honest with you. I think that's more of a January, March to July contracts. I'll be looking for something like that, you know, a big spike up. And if you get a decent basis, you probably just let them go. I mean, $15 beans is $15 beans because we do have the threat of, you know, what if, south america does raise that monster crop brazil will quickly not brazil but china will quickly shift from buying our beans back to brazil but right now brazil is going to be kind of out of the market as their producers are really tight holders of the old crop and we're kind of the only game in town for china so even if our relations aren't the best with us sending a couple of ships through the taiwan strait this weekend they're still going to buy beans from us but probably not an extra amount i wouldn't say
0: all right. Well, let's turn the focus over to livestock. Dwayne, we've got live cattle seeing a little bit of weakness here to start the week. Not terribly surprising. Where do you think the market goes from here?
6: Yeah, we really want to see it find some support. We definitely pulled back last week, um, maybe breaking some upward trend lines, but the upward trend lines were maybe a little bit too sharp for my liking anyway. So I think we'll find support here too. The cutouts are still strong. Cash is still strong. Uh, Slaughter weights increased a little bit more than I would like to see in last week. So that means production increased as well. But I think those numbers will start declining. I think the market is just going to find support and then maybe better establish upward trend line going into fall um yeah we're down today but considering you know the scares of in the stock market recession talk you know down you know 10 to 20 to 30 cents isn't that big of a deal in catalay i'll be happy if we can hold this and then maybe inch up higher later in the week
0: all right so watching for later in the week that cash trade Dwayne. where do you think we're going to be closer to 150 or closer to 145
6: probably closer to 145 this week. Um, I don't think we've got the bullish news. And with the weights increasing a little bit, Packers probably feel like they have the upper hand on feedlots that they actually might have to move some some fats here in the short term but of course when you move those fats that means you got to replace them with some feeders and luckily they have come off in price on the board uh, cash wise still seems pretty hot but I, i'm up in an area that the cash feeders always seem too high so still a pretty hot market there people look like they want to feed cattle this winter
0: all right we'll continue to keep an eye on it we'll be watching for dwayne bussey's input on these markets dwayne thanks for joining us today
6: yeah thanks mike
0: And folks, stick around. We're going to talk to Sigurd Johannes here from uh, Public Lands Council when AOA returns. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up.
4: Choose the proven performance of the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, featuring high yielding Extend Flex soybeans and the exceptional weed control of Extend Max herbicide with vapor grip technology. Elite genetics, triple herbicide tolerance, flexibility that delivers results, backed by 25 years of innovation. That's the Roundup Ready Extend crop system. The system of choice. Extendamax is a restricted use pesticide. Always follow stewardship practices, all pesticide label directions, and check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state.
5: They say if you listen hard enough, you can hear the corn grow. It's true. When you're out in the field, you understand its challenges and what it needs to thrive. Channel Seedsmen bring insights from the field to our team of bear plant breeders. Their knowledge inspires our product development. From your best ground to your most challenging conditions, our products are designed to perform in your fields. Visit ChannelListens.com to see our latest innovations. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions.
7: You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Ristvet. The Pro Farmer Midwest Crop Tour wrapped up on Friday and got the market's attention with its 168.1 bushel per acre corn yield estimate. The focus does now shift to other private estimates and USDA's objective data estimate that comes out on September 12th. Pro-farmers estimates came in below USDA's final yield in eight of the past 10 years, but we still can't rule out the possibility that it might end up being that low. Regardless, though, it doesn't take a decline to 168 bushels to necessitate rationing of demand in the months ahead. Global supplies would be tight even with the drop into the low 170s. As for soybeans, ProFarmer provided reason to be concerned about how we finish, but they also provided plenty of fodder for the bears as well, depending on how we finish out this crop. And what this means and what we are also keeping our eye on is that we also need to pay attention to declining demand from China, part of which also is a product of all the reserve beans that China continues to make available to its processors. And we have to keep our eye also on Europe's corn crop, which is hurting from extreme drought, with reports from China being unclear The corn crop in northeastern China is likely safe from drought in southern China, but January corn on the Dalian Exchange closed up 1.4% Monday, and that is a new one-month high with the equivalent of $10.22 a bushel. Let's get a look at the commodity prices. September, corn up six and a quarter at six seventy-five. Bean September down four and a half at sixteen and three quarters. Wheat Chicago, September, up nine and a half at seven ninety-four and a quarter. Kansas City, September, up nine at eight ninety-two and a quarter. And the Minneapolis, September wheat, that is up three and three quarters at eight ninety-eight and a quarter. Live cattle is up 75 at 141.55. Feeder September down 122 at 180.97. And the October lean hogs, they are up 75 at 91.40. While the Dow right now is off about 250 points, the dollar is sitting at 108.5. And crude oil is trading up about two and a half bucks at just over $95 a barrel. This is AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Ristvet.
1: You're going to need me. You're going to need us. All of us. You're going to need our technical skills.
8: Our math, our engineering skills.
1: You're going to need our help with your water, your air, your food. You're
3: going to need our organizational skills, our problem-solving skills.
8: You're going to need our determination, our honesty, our compassion.
5: You're going to need the next generation of leaders to face the challenges the future will bring. And we promise, we'll be there when you need us. Today, 4-H is growing the next generation of leaders. Support us at 4-H.org.
0: This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Well, folks, thanks for tuning in to AOA here on this Monday, August 29th. One topic that has come up a lot in recent months out of Washington, D.C. is the Endangered Species Act, the E.S.A. and of course, the targets of the E.S.A., those animals and whatever that is overseen by the Endangered Species Act. We continue to see a lot of movement on this. And last week, there was some court action on some Endangered Species Act issues, particularly those for the gray wolf. Joining us to bring us up to speed on these events is Sigrid Johannes. She is the associate director at the public lands council secret thanks for joining us today
9: hey mike thanks for having me
0: let's talk about this gray wolf decision and if you would let's start at the beginning during the trump administration some changes were made to gray wolf listing under the esa secret what were those changes and what's the battle been since then
9: thing. So under the Trump administration, uh, the gray wolf was delisted off the Endangered Species Act uh, list of protected species across the lower 48 states. That's a significant uh, caveat because over the course of this listing, over the past few decades, gray wolves have been chunked out into a few different population segments, the, uh, the Northern Rockies, the Great Lakes region, etc. cetera. And this listing under the Trump administration delisted across all states. Now, that was challenged, uh, and unfortunately, in February, we saw a pretty unfavorable court decision in the Northern District of California, which is the Ninth Circuit Court, uh, which restored ESA protections for wolves across much of the country. The court basically said, we don't buy this reasoning that because there are a few very strong population segments, the species as a whole is okay. Now, we disagreed with that at NCBA, uh, and we filed a motion to challenge that. What happened uh, this past week was we were finally granted intervener status. And what that means is we now are able to participate fully in that litigation, challenging the court's decision in an effort to restore uh, the delisting across the lower 48 states. And this is a huge win for agriculture, Mike, because we filed that motion, NCBA, alongside some of our partners in ag, like the sheep folks and the public lands council. And our reasoning was that the parties who are in that case the NRA and the Safari Club, are not really representing the interests of agriculture. They too have a very valid case, they have a very valid argument to make, but it's not the same as the very unique and specific experiences that cattle producers, sheep ranchers, and other folks in agriculture experience. So we felt it was very important to get our foot in the door, to have our own voice in that case, and this intervener status that we were able to achieve last week allows us to do that and really tell our own story from a producer's perspective.
0: And so this is interesting to me and I'm no legal expert secret so maybe this happens quite a bit but after this court's decision we've got NCBA we've got public lands council ASI and I believe a few others now defendants in this case alongside the US Fish and Wildlife Service is that how this works.
9: That's correct. So our other option had this not been granted, and and to be honest, Mike, this all happens in the Northern District of California, which is a a pretty tough circuit for us and a court that has been pretty uh, unfavorable to some of the measures that we think are pretty common sense on ESA cases. So it was by no means a sure thing, and if this hadn't happened, we would have to proceed forward in the case uh, basically by filing an amicus brief, which is, you know, allows you to express an opinion, but you are still essentially on the sidelines of that litigation. This motion to uh, intervene, giving us intervener status, now puts us in the driver's seat in a much more active role and, again, allows us to work with all the other parties on the case to make sure that agriculture specifically is represented and that we get to make our own arguments in court that pertain to how this, uh, you know, restoration of protections, how this This uh, federal top-down approach, essentially, to gray wolf management is really harming ranchers in the West, but across many other parts of the country as well.
0: So as defendants now in this case, what information will PLC and NCBA be bringing to the table? I imagine you've got data showing that gray wolves have in parts of the country seen quite a good rebound in numbers. Is that the case?
9: That is certainly the case, Mike. Uh, Nationwide, the gray wolf has exceeded its population threshold for recovery by 300%. And this is a key argument that we're gonna be making in this case and in any other context where it comes up, frankly, that state management of wildlife is by far the preferable option. States know best how to manage these species especially large predator species that have a huge impact on not only the ecosystem but also human populations in that area we think that those decisions should be left up to the states and you have fantastic case studies already in a great number of states that this works you have montana Wyoming and Idaho, which, due to some litigation, uh, you know, in, in decades past, they actually are sort of exempt from this situation, and they're able to run their own show. The states manage those wolf populations, and they have very healthy, sustainable numbers of wolves. Another great state that we like to point to as a success story is Minnesota. Minnesota has done a fantastic job managing gray wolves for full recovery, and are now, you know, working on keeping that population in balance with rural residents and with agriculture that's happening in the area. So we. Know that this can work we know there are states that can do this well and we want that to be the case across the lower 48 and frankly another key argument that we're going to be making here is that the endangered species act was never intended to be a permanent waiting room the the act as a whole i would say has has achieved what it was intended to do it certainly put a lot of nationwide and federal attention on the recovery of wildlife and that's a great thing but species aren't meant to stay on there for their you know for 40 years they're meant to stay on you make a recovery plan you achieve that plan you achieve your numbers and then you delist the species that's all that we're asking here for we're not asking to get rid of every gray wolf in the u.s we're asking for that management to be left up to states because the wolf is recovered under the esa
0: let's talk timeline secret as of right now after this court decision in california what is the status of the gray wolf in the lower 48 are they currently esa protected
9: they are currently esa protected due to that February court decision. Uh, that sort of vacated or nixed the final rule that delisted them. There's a lot of moving parts here, Mike, as you well know, and the timeline can get pretty confusing. But the most important thing to know is that as of now, they have protections and we are gonna continue pushing forward in this case to restore the delisting, which would remove those protections, but it would remove them from a federal standpoint and it would turn that management and that conservation work over to state governments who can then pick up the baton from there. There are no shortage of of other cases that we're looking at for the fall but this one is now we're in a little bit of a holding pattern until we get our next court dates
0: all right folks and you can i'm sure keep up at the public lands on the advancements in this case
9: yes sir public dot or ncba.org are going to be your sources for updates
0: All right. While we're talking public lands council, Secret, I know you just had a chance to come back from Cody, Wyoming for the annual meeting out there. A lot on the radar of folks using federal lands in 2022. What were some of the big topics of conversation brought up at the annual meeting?
9: You know, we had a fantastic meeting in Cody, Mike, and we saw a lot of folks who brought up some of the state level concerns they're facing. ESA and wolves was certainly very top of the list for a lot of people. uh, But we also had questions about some of the sage grouse plan revisions that are happening uh, at the federal level, Uh, larger questions about 30 by 30 and when we're going to get a draft of that conservation atlas that NCBA and PLC have been working on. We do expect a draft on that by the end of the year, by the way. Um, But some other items like water usage, uh, continuing impacts of the drought. There are a lot of natural resources uh, questions and challenges facing producers right now. But what was so encouraging was that every single state came to that PLC meeting with concrete examples of what they could do to manage the land and achieve positive outcomes for the environment and for their livestock and that's what plc is all about and we were very happy to have that opportunity to hear from our members
0: that's fantastic secret and we've talked about this a lot it is an election year we've got folks in dc maybe tuning in a little more closely to ag issues this year what's been the relationship with plc have you guys still been having good constructive meetings in washington with legislators and regulators
9: that's a great question, Mike. I would say on the PLC side, we have certainly had positive relationships and conversations with our regulators. We have folks at the Bureau of Land Management and the U.S. Forest Service and the and the uh, Fish and Wildlife Service, for that matter, who have been very open to this dialogue and these conversations, and we've appreciated that back and forth. I would say when you look towards Capitol Hill, things get a little more fuzzy, right? Because as you noted, it is an election year, and I think that some of that attention is definitely turning back to their own elections. People are, are getting getting a little uh, disengaged here in Washington between now and the end of the year because they're all headed home and they're all trying to get reelected. PLC has a plan in place, no matter what happens this November, we're gonna stay active, engaged, and, and positive in those conversations, whether you know you see a lot of people are predicting a Republican majority in the House, whether that comes to pass or not, either way, we're gonna be in a strong position to keep pushing forward on some of these conversations.
0: Secret the legislative calendar is almost over for this Congress is there anything are there any items that PLC or NCBA is really pushing to get across the finish line before all those Congress folks head back to their home districts.
9: That's a great question, Mike. I would say from the natural resources perspective, we are very pleased to see a lot of funding for conservation programs in the Inflation Reduction Act that actually just passed and became law. That was a big priority for us and we were pleased to see a lot of a lot of that money uh, authorized for, again, conservation programs that a lot of folks depend on and go a long way to uh, furthering our goals on those working lands and keeping those working lands uh, both productive and environmentally sustainable. On the other side, though, you know, we're going to see an appropriations uh, sort of last-ditch effort as has become a tradition in Washington in recent years, unfortunately. We'll keep an eye on that closely, uh, less from an offensive point of view, but more from a defensive point of view. That appropriations package has become sort of a Christmas tree in recent years because it's Washington's last chance to get things across the finish line attached to must-pass legislation. So we're going to be keeping an eye to make sure that things don't get attached there. My last plug would be, if you are a, a state in the West and you are concerned about sage-grouse and sage-grouse listings, we strongly, strongly urge you to call your senator's office and ask them to attach that sage-grouse language to the appropriations bill.
0: All right, folks, you heard it. Get that sage-grouse language attached to the appropriations bill. As Seagrid mentions, that is must-pass legislation. Seagrid Johannes, Associate Director at the Public Lands Council and NCBA, thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Mike. And folks, stick around. We'll talk more news from agriculture when AOA returns. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up.
8: What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Starr Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease.
10: Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle.
7: I
4: like that too.
10: Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council.
4: Choose the proven performance of the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, featuring high-yielding Extend Flex soybeans and the exceptional weed control of Extendamax herbicide with vapor grip technology. Elite genetics, triple herbicide tolerance, flexibility that delivers results, backed by 25 years of innovation. That's the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, the system of choice. Extendamax is a restricted-use pesticide. Always follow stewardship practices, all pesticide label directions, and check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state.
5: They say if you listen hard enough, you can hear the corn grow. It's true. When you're out in the field, you understand its challenges and what it needs to thrive. Channel Seedsmen bring insights from the field to our team of bear plant breeders. Their knowledge inspires our product development. From your best ground to your most challenging conditions, our products are designed to perform in your fields. Visit ChannelListens.com to see our latest innovations. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions.
11: We gather together in communities across the nation to remember and honor, to celebrate and support, to light the night. Join us as we lift our lanterns high in order to move toward a world free of blood cancers. Join us as we light the night for a loved one. Join us. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Our mission is to cure leukemia, lymphoma, Hodgkin's disease and myeloma. Our aim is to improve the quality of life of patients and their families. Join us. We are LLS, and when we walk, cancer runs. Join your community and help bring light to the darkness of cancer. Join us as we Light the Night. Find your local event at lightthenight.org. That's lightthenight.org.
0: You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information farmers and ranchers need to know.
1: AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson.
0: Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to talk about some of the issues impacting agriculture around the world here in just a moment. And there are plenty of them in 2022. But before we do that, I did want to bring something to your attention. Earlier in the month of August, we saw the EPA open up the full registration for atrazine. That means they are taking a look at the entire usage profile of atrazine through the agricultural system. And uh, this has a lot of agricultural groups concerned. Atrazine, of course, is very, very common. It's used in about 90 different herbicide products across the U.S. and we've been using it for about 60 years. Well, the EPA has concerns about the level of atrazine in water, particularly in streams and in creeks. Their concern is that too much atrazine is going to kill off uh, some of the aquatic plants that then fish rely on and that would throw off the ecosystem. So EPA is taking a very hard look at atrazine usage in total, and they have proposed some important changes. Under the EPA proposal that is currently open for questioning, they are going to restrict atrazine in ways such as there will be no application allowed on saturated fields, be no atrazine application allowed when it is raining or when rain is likely to occur over the next 48 hours, which good luck finding that window across the Corn Belt in the summer. No aerial application allowed and they would say corn and sorghum applications would need to be reduced to two pounds per acre. year. This would definitely change the crop nutrient profiles of a lot of farmers across the Corn Belt. And originally, EPA opened up this registration and they said, we are going to allow folks to make comments until September 6th. That is next Wednesday. Today, it was announced that due to the pushback from folks out in the countryside, I'd imagine EPA calls them stakeholders, they have extended this comment period from uh, September 6th all the way until October 7th. So they've given you one extra month to get on there and get those comments in. If you use Atrazine in your crop protection program, you need to be commenting on it. If you like the way it works in your system, if it's a tool you want to keep in your toolbox, get on there. You could check out uh, epa.gov, just Google atrazine restrictions or atrazine regulation, and you'll be able to find the place to get those comments in. Reminder, folks, one more time, you can make those comments until October 7th. And we'll be checking in with Jackie Fatka later this week at the Farm Progress show. She'll have more details as we understand fully just what this uh, this decision means. Stay tuned for more of that, folks. We're also going to be looking around the world. We talked last week with meteorologist Jim Romer on the program, and he provided an update to us on the drought in China and the drought in Europe. We continue to see the European crop shrinking as that drought impact takes hold. uh, European grain analysts expect that crop to be about 5 million metric tons shorter they had they had initially estimated at the start of August. We're also seeing Chinese crops be decimated by this drought and as Jim mentioned, most of the Chinese corn and soybean is in the northeast or excuse me, northwest part of that country largely unaffected by the drought. Not not entirely unaffected, certainly could see some yield impact. But the real crop that's that's seeing the brunt of the drought in China is rice and wheat, two of the key food crops for the country of China. This is throwing those markets into a little bit of an upheaval. We heard from Dwayne Bussey about the strength in the wheat market happening today. Some of that is based on strength expected from Chinese purchases later on this year. We're also seeing the rice market globally begin to react. That same drought that is impacting China is having an impact in India, of course, just to the south of China. The Indian government is growing concerns about their rice crop this year, and they are proposing some export restrictions. India did this back in 2008. They limited rice exports, caused the entire global rice market to go haywire. So this year, they're trying to be a little more intentional about it. So far, all the Indian government has said is they are discussing putting curbs on broken rice exports. These are damaged grains that uh, they say account for about 20 percent of Indian Indian rice exports. That's what they might be looking at putting a clamp on, not allowing those exports to move out because they want to keep them in India to keep those uh, to keep rice costs fairly affordable in country. The Chinese have other concerns beyond just the drought. One of China's largest ag banks this is the Agricultural Bank of China. This is the third largest total bank by assets in the country of China. Started out predominantly as an ag lender. Now, just like a a lot of other financial institutions in China, it has moved into many other sectors, including, importantly, property because right now the country of China is kind of going through the 2008 mortgage crisis but their way in China and we are seeing a lot of Chinese property owners strike on their mortgage payments. They're just not making payments anymore. A lot of the properties haven't yet been built. These folks are saying, we're not paying for it until we see the property up. And this has created a big slowdown in lending in China. Ag Bank of China says that they are now seeing $178 million in overdue loans. That's nearly double the previous estimate and this is coming from the mortgage boycott on unfinished projects in the country now the chinese government has pledged a number of funds from the central government to banks in order to help them kind of get this covered get these projects to completion but this could be a long-term issue that impacts chinese folks ability to buy food Keep watching that property sector in China. It is going to have long-ranging implications. And, folks, before we go, we heard Dwayne mention the recession fears are percolating. And they are percolating as well across the restaurant uh, industry the national restaurant association does a survey each month of those businesses and they found that the economy is disrupting food service operations they say 46 percent of restaurant operators are contending with costs that have continued to climb and they say business conditions are worse now in August 2022 than they were three months ago. A strong majority of operators, 88%, say total food and beverage costs are higher than they were back in 2019, and 86% say their labor costs are higher. 91% of restaurant operators have increased menu prices in recent months, folks. That's a trend that's sticking around. And 65% have changed the items offered on their menu altogether as price or supply chain has made it difficult to secure ingredients. We're going to be talking about this economy's impact on agriculture for some time, folks, and we'll be doing it live and in person at the Farm Progress show this week. Come by booth 928. That is the Trelleborg booth from nine to 10. And we'll get you on the air here with AOA. We'd love to see you. Booth 928 and stick around for the interesting panels happening after the show. Folks, if you're at Farm Progress, drop by and say hi. And if not, folks, tune in tomorrow. We'll have news from the event. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.
7: Corn is native to the American continents and was unknown to the rest of humanity until Columbus arrived in the New World in the 15th century. It took less than 100 years after Columbus's discovery for corn to be introduced to farmers in Asia, Africa, Europe, and the Pacific Islands. After wheat and rice, corn is the third most cultivated crop in the world. The four nations that purchase the most corn from the United States are Mexico and Colombia, who use it as a food ingredient, and Japan and South Korea, who buy it mainly for animal feed.